Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for NFL Week 8. And this is, I think, the smallest main slate I've ever seen for a DraftKings football slate. It's only nine games because, obviously, there's no Sunday or Monday night game. And then there's bye weeks now. And then there's also a game being played in London. So just nine games on the slate. I think that'll make it a little easier to kind of pare down the guys we're targeting. So the first game on the slate is the... Uh, Wait one second, which... Okay, there we go, my window closed. It's the Atlanta Falcons at the New York Jets. And uh, I'd be kind of curious what the spread is for this game because I'm not sure what people think of the Falcons right now. Okay, so the Falcons are four-and-a-half-point favorites. It looks like there's a little bit of sharp money that's pushing it down towards uh, Jets plus four. And then for the total, it opened at 47, and the public sentiment is definitely towards the under. The Falcons' offense looked pretty bad last week. And the Jets' offense kind of just always looks bad, although they did score 28 points against the Dolphins. So the public is on the under a bit, but the Sharps seem to be on the under too. And I'm not sure if this is actually a sharp action yet, but the line is moving towards the under. And before you weigh in, just to comment on the offenses of both of these teams, the Falcons actually average more yards per play in that game with New England on Sunday night. They went for it on fourth down and missed a bunch of times, and one of those spots was on the goal line. So the score didn't really reflect how Atlanta played. They actually were sort of decent offensively. They get a big downgrade because they did it against a bad defense. But Atlanta actually, just by the numbers, played pretty well offensively. And then the Jets also, their scoring last week was kind of inflated. One of their touchdowns actually came on a one-yard run off of a Jay Cutler interception that left them on the one-yard line to start the drive. So big positive boost from field position there. Um, So it's a little bit confusing because there are a lot of factors pushing on both sides of this game. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say the line is just fair, and I don't really think the Sharps kind of – I don't really think there's a lot that they're looking at for this game. Yeah, actually, uh, pro football focus, they also have Atlanta – they have Atlanta as four-point favorites. And then in DVOA rankings, Atlanta is 21st and the Jets are 25th. So I I don't think that Atlanta is really a particularly great team this year. And I don't really think that this game is one that I have a lot of interest in either. I I don't necessarily think that it's like a terrible spot for the Falcons offense. But Matt Ryan still at 6,800. And then Julio Jones all at 8,400. Like I would rather use A.J. Green at home against uh, Indianapolis. And then from the Jets side of the game also, uh, I think that Josh McCown was added to the Jets injury report today. So we'll have to keep an eye on that to see if anything comes of that. Uh, he might have just been limited practice, so it might not even be like a real injury. Um, but not really anybody who I really want to roster from either side of this game. How about you, Matt? No, I think that even though the public sentiment may be a little bit biased towards the under, I don't think that DraftKings prices really reflect that. So there's just not a lot of cheap anywhere close to value guys I think everyone's just priced up a little bit uh the one price I'm pulling up now is Austin Safarian Jenkins who's been really good lately but he actually costs 4900 now and I think there's at least two tight ends that we like more than him for cheaper anyway uh two tight ends that we probably like even just in terms of expected output that are cheaper than him so that was the one guy I was thinking about when I initially saw this line and because he's so expensive I think I'll probably just end up with no one from either team he hasn't had over 50 yards in a single game yet this year. He just happens to have scored touchdowns in three consecutive weeks, which I don't think is going to keep happening. So I'm good with just not really having exposure to this game. The next game on the slate is 
the San Francisco 49ers at the Philadelphia Eagles. The 49ers defense has been abysmal this year, and they play at a really, really fast pace, which has led to a lot of fantasy points for opposing teams. So what is the point spread and the over-under for this game, Matt? So looking at the Vegas line, I think this is going to be a really popular spot. Uh, The Eagles are 12.5-point favorites. They actually opened at 13, though, and the Sharps bet them down half a point. The over-under has dropped from 47.5 to 46, so it looks like sharp money on the under, too. So the indicators are actually negative Eagles offense, and after what they just did to the Redskins on Monday night with Carson Wentz having a monster game, they won the game 34-24. to I think a lot of people will be on the Eagles passing game, and I don't really have a ton of interest there because I think they'll be fairly over-owned. They do have some cheap receivers, but I think the issue with the bigger issue with the Eagles right now is just figuring out where all of the targets will go and where all of the carries will go because they seem really spread around both in the passing game and in the running game. Well, there's one Eagles receiver I really like this week, and that's Alshon Jeffrey at 6,700. So Jeffrey, I still think, is one of the top 15 or so receivers in the NFL. He has just gotten some brutal matchups recently. They've played Washington twice, so uh, he's been covered by Josh Norman. They played Carolina. They played the Chargers. They played the Giants, so he's had to be covered by Janoris Jenkins. So I just think 6700 for Alshon Jeffrey is a bit too cheap, especially how plus of a matchup this is. And this is arguably the first good matchup he's had the entire season. So I think that he's the guy who could really have a big game in the Eagles passing game. And then from the 49ers side of the game, I think that uh, Beathard makes sense at quarterback. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pron- – or is it is it beat hard? Beth- I don't know. <laughs> I don't actually know either, so I'll just let you pronounce it however you want. But I also don't know if he's been officially confirmed as the starter yet either, although it looks like he's supposed to be starting. Yeah, he's, he's going to be starting. And he's only 5,100. I think he makes sense as a cheap quarterback. They're probably going to be playing from behind this game, so they're going to have to throw the ball a lot. And then receiver, who I think to pair with him that makes some sense, Marquise Goodwin is uh, currently questionable to play, but if he's able to play, he's really cheap, and he's been getting a lot of targets lately. Uh, Last three weeks, eight targets, five targets, 11 targets. That's a lot of volume for somebody at 3,900, and I think he just has a chance to rack up some garbage time points with the 49ers likely playing from behind in this game. So of the guys you've mentioned, I think Beathard is the one that I wouldn't use because there there actually are some pretty strong quarterback value spots on the slate. So I think just because there are better picks, I won't use him. But I do agree with you on Goodwin for sure. He's probably my favorite player from the game, obviously contingent upon him playing. Alshon Jeffrey, I guess there are just other receivers that maybe are only marginally more expensive than him that have similar matchups who might just be a little bit better. I think he makes some sense, though, so I'll say I'm undecided right now on how much I'll use of him. But I think of the Eagles' receivers, of basically anyone on the Eagles' offense, Jeffrey would be the only one that I would even consider using. I know Zach Ertz will be popular, but like I said before, there there are some good tight ends that we'll get to in a minute. So I have no interest in Ertz, and I think Jeffrey could get into a few of my lineups. So the next game on the slate, the Carolina Panthers at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Cam Newton has been all over the place this year. The Buccaneers' defense has been awful. So is there any sharp action on this game, Matt, and what is the uh, point spread? I'm having a hard time figuring out if there's sharp action here. The betting is fairly split. So the Bucs opened as one-point favorites. They're now up to two-point favorites. The total, though, has gone up to 40. It's gone up from 44 to 46, but that's with the public pretty heavy on the over. I do think that there's a little bit of a sharp indicator that this over move isn't just public sentiment. I think that the Sharps also kind of like the over. 
And Tampa Bay's defense has just been really bad. So even though the line is moving towards Tampa, I think I prefer the Carolina side of the game. And especially because you'll probably get them at reduced ownership after they just had a pretty abysmal game in Chicago against the Bears. So the Sharps, I would say, lean towards the over. But as far as sides, it's pretty unclear. Yeah, so let's see what the pricing is on these guys. Because, I mean, I think that Carolina could be interesting just because um, what were the... I think the Buccaneers in pass defense are either 30th, like 31st. I think it's 31st. Oh, my stupid iPad. Here, I got it. They they actually are 32nd now. 32nd. So that's not good. That's the last place. There's 32 teams in the NFL. So... (laughs) Based on that, like, there's one other spot where we'd like to use Cam Newton this year, and that was when he played against the Patriots. And his prices come back down. Like, he got really expensive for a while. He's not as cheap as he was when he played the Patriots at 6600 But that's still pretty cheap for Cam Newton's upside. Obviously a risky play. But before last week, if you look at uh, he had 37 points against New England, 29 against Detroit. 24 against Philly, then down to 10 against the Bears. So they just nuked his price and he came all the way back down. Like, I don't have an issue using him in this matchup because of how bad the Buccaneers' pass defense is. And then for receivers, it's Calvin Benjamin for me. He's at 6,400. I think that's a reasonable price for him. Uh, Devin Funches at 5,900. I think Benjamin's much better than Funches. So for just a few hundred more dollars, I prefer Benjamin. And then from the Bucs side of the game, uh, just not really a lot of interest for me. I think the Panthers' defense has been one of the better defenses in football. So even though the Bucks are home, uh, I, I just think it's a better spot for the Panthers. Yeah, I actually think that Carolina's defense makes a little bit of sense as a play, but my favorite guy from the Carolina side, I think, is someone you didn't actually mention, that's Christian McCaffrey. Because if Carolina is going to be throwing a lot to take advantage of Tampa's bad pass defense, McCaffrey is much more of a beneficiary than fellow running back Jonathan Stewart. And McCaffrey's targets have been really high this year. He's kind of just been more of a receiver than a running back. So do you have any interest there? I would say, like, moderate. The issue is that McCaffrey doesn't play in the red zone at all. Jonathan Stewart gets all the touches in the red zone, so there isn't a lot of chance for a touchdown for McCaffrey. And then also that he just hasn't done that much this year. He only has two games worth 15 fantasy points. I think 6,200 is just a bit too expensive for him. So I'll say that I have no interest in McCaffrey in cash because it's it'll be hard for him to score. Uh, especially because he doesn't play in the red zone. But um, I think that Cam Newton on the goal line kind of keeps the ball himself or is throwing to his wide receivers. But McCaffrey could score from from distance. I mean, he's really, really talented. So I think there is a lot of upside with him. So I'll, I'll, I'll definitely only be using him in GPPs. But I think I probably won't end up pairing him with Newton because there just are a lot of good quarterbacks to choose from. And I think Newton is actually more expensive than the other ones that we previously talked about liking. Uh, yeah, New- the other guys that we mentioned before we started, we were talking the other day, who we'll get to, are all cheaper than Cam Newton. So I think I'm off Newton, but I do like McCaffrey and I do like Benjamin. So the next game on the slate has one of those cheap quarterbacks, and that is the Chargers at the Patriots. Tom Brady is not the cheap quarterback. It is Philip <laughs> Rivers who is the cheap quarterback. Uh, the Patriots' defense was historically bad the first few weeks of the season. They've certainly been playing better recently, but I wouldn't say they've been great. Like you said earlier, a lot of people are going to look at they held the Falcons to three points and think it was some great defensive performance. They did play fairly well on defense that game. It was probably their best defensive game of the year. Or Actually, they didn't hold them to three points because I forgot that Julio Jones scored that late touchdown. 
Um, but they weren't like a totally, completely dominant defensive team in that game. And they've still allowed over 300 passing yards to guys like Cam Newton and Josh McCown this year. So I think this is going to be a good spot for the Chargers offense. Does the Vegas info reflect that? It sort of does. I think this is another spot where the Sharps are kind of at odds. So the Patriots opened a seven and a half point favorites. The line's down to seven and the total has dropped from 49 to 48 and a half. So a move towards the under is a bit weird in this matchup where I think most people would expect a lot of points and that, and most of the bets are on the over. So it could be some sharp money on the under. Maybe the sharps are looking at this Patriots defense as improving. Maybe it was just a fluke that they played so bad early. I know that they've had a bunch of injuries, but it could have just been small sample size in those first few weeks where they really struggled. So I'm higher on the Patriots defense than I was at least, but I still do think it's a good matchup for the chargers uh, Philip Rivers makes some sense. I like Keenan Allen a lot. I think I'll use him a lot more than I use Rivers probably in game stacks with other teams. So the Chargers passing game is pretty heavily dependent on Keenan Allen. And I don't really think that there's a ton else that I like from either side. Yeah, I mean, I still like Rivers. Rivers also has a pretty high floor. He scored at least 14 fantasy points in every game this year except for one. And this is also just a really plus matchup for him. Like, he's had to play... Uh, Denver twice, he's had to play in Oakland, he's had to play KC. So he's played some tough defense and still played pretty well this year. So I think 6300 is just a really favorable price for him in a good matchup. Keenan Allen's at 7300 He was 7900 two weeks ago against Oakland. He was priced as high as 8000 last year. So I think 7300 good spot for Keenan Allen. And then I really like Hunter Henry at 4800 And then, is there anybody else who's really getting a lot of targets? Not really. I think it's... Uh, Rivers, Allen, and Hunter Henry for me. And then from the Patriots side of the game, not a lot of interest. They always end up having a little bit of ownership. And the Chargers defense is a, is a very solid defensive team, so I don't really want to pay the prices for the Patriots in this matchup. Yeah, we keep teasing the uh, tight ends that we're going to talk about inevitably, and I think that's the main reason I wouldn't use Gronk in this matchup, even though Gronk is always in play. I think I'm 100% off of Gronk this week. Um, and then, yeah, I guess Hunter Henry does make some sense, but I do prefer some other tight ends there too. Just to ask you on a couple of receivers we've already mentioned, though, Keenan Allen for his price or Alshon Jeffrey for, for his? Uh, because I feel like with the way lineups will be constructed – you can't really use both of those guys. We're going to be probably paying up a little at running back, paying up at quarterback to some degree. So I don't know that it really makes a ton of sense to use both of those guys. Um, so which guy do you think you'd like better for his price between Jeffrey and Keenan Allen? Alshon Jeffrey. All right. I think I probably prefer Keenan Allen, but I'll say that they're close, and I think they're both good plays. Another thing also, a big part of it for me is just that Jeffrey's $600 cheaper. No, that's fair. I guess my... Decision to go more towards Allen would be based on him being him having a higher floor because there's no blowout risk really for the Chargers. I mean, they, they will be throwing probably most of the game. Game flow should probably have them losing in the fourth quarter where they need to pass more. And I'm a little concerned that the Eagles could get ahead by too much and just be running the ball in the second half. So that's probably why I lean that way. Yeah, I wonder if I also might be biased from fading the Cowboys last week. Oh, yeah. The Cowboys played the 49ers and scored a million points and... It didn't matter if they were up by a lot that game. But I think everyone I will be biased that way, too, though. Yeah, the, I think I think the Eagles certainly will have higher ownership than the Chargers will also. So the next game on the slate, Chicago Bears at the New Orleans Saints. 
Uh, Trubisky impressively only threw seven passes last week, and I I think that he's fine. He's looked decent to me at times. I think he could be a good player, but for right now, it seems like the Bears are just not going to let him throw the ball a lot. So what does the Vegas line have to say about this game? So they do sort of indicate the sentiment that you were just describing. The spread in the game is minus nine for New Orleans. Public is kind of split here, no movement. So there's, I think it's just a fair line, and there's no real sharp money at all. But the Sharps are on the under, so the total opened at 50, and it's now only 47.5 with some pretty heavy bets on the under. So I guess the way the Bears are playing now, going very run-heavy with Jordan Howard, is just going to lead to a slower pace, more time in the game where the clock is running, and just fewer plays overall. So less opportunity for points. I think it hurts the Saints' offense. I have no interest in Trubisky just because he he won't be throwing. Um, But based on... This indicator from Vegas, I think it certainly reinforces what the Bears did last week and the idea that they'll do it again. So I like Jordan Howard from this game, and I guess the Saints' run game is in a good spot because they'll probably have the lead, and so is the Saints' defense. But I think without the Bears really throwing the ball much, it'll be hard for the Saints' defense to score fantasy points. I know that's a spot you kind of like, so are you worried at all that the Saints' defense just won't have a lot of chance to create turnovers? Because here's here's one thing I think. I think that there's a decent chance, because the Saints are pretty big favorites in this game, that they're going to get out to a lead, which is going to force Trubisky to throw the ball now, more. So I think the Bears would like for him to just throw like 10 pass attempts per game, except he's probably going to have to throw like 20-plus passes this game. Well, the Saints also don't really have a good run defense, so I I feel like the matchup favors Howard, and it, it should allow for the Bears at least to rack up some first downs to keep this game reasonably close. Like, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of blowout potential in this game. I think the Saints probably win it by 7 to 10 points, but I think it stays pretty close most of the game. The real strength of the Saints' defense is their pass defense. They're 6th in pass DVOA, but they're 29th in run DVOA. So because of the way the Bears play, I think they just match up kind of poorly. No, I think that makes some sense. I think that I do think that Jordan Howard is okay to play. He's going to be very low-owned, I would assume, especially because people are just going to see the spread of that game, and people don't like to play... Uh, a road underdog running back. Uh, but there, there's definitely a route for Howard to have a big game. I don't think I'll have like a ton of ownership to him or anything, except I do think that he's worth putting into a couple of lineups. Yeah, so Howard, I don't think I'll have a ton of him either, but I do think he'll be my highest-owned player from this game, and I'll probably use him more than either of the Saints running backs. So one thing that I am uh, interested in from the Saints side of the game is what's going to be the status of Willie Sneed this week, and is he going to be able to play? Because Sneed has shown ability to be a big play wide receiver. He was somebody who was priced well over 5000 last year. He's only a 4000 so he could be in play if he's a go without any restrictions. If he doesn't play, Ted Ginn at 4700 I think is a really strong play. Ginn, uh, big play, big play threat. He's had... Last couple of weeks, seven catches for 141 yards, four catches for 66 yards. Just because of his big playability, I think that he's just a really strong play, 4,700 and a GPP as somebody with a lot of upside. Yeah, I agree with that. And he definitely would be the only Saints receiver I would use, not looking at Drew Brees. And Ginn could make some sense. I think that there might be a little bit of confusion with the Bears' DVOA rank on defense now. They're up to 13th. And Some people may look at that and say, oh, they had a bunch of defensive touchdowns last week. That's why their rating's so high. But DVOA doesn't give credit for that. They they view defensive scores as mostly just flukes. 
so the Bears ranking 13th on defense actually has very little to do with them scoring defensively. So this actually probably is an above-average defense now. So it's just it's not the best matchup for the Saints, but Ginn is underpriced if Snead doesn't play. So that's probably the only guy on the Saints I would use. So the next game on the slate, oh, another good spot here. The Indianapolis Colts at the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Colts' defense is also uh, just really total dog shit. The Cincinnati Bengals, their offense has been terrible this year, but they have a solid defense. So what is the spread for this game? And I think that this is going to be a good defense spot. Yeah, I'll preface this by saying I agree with you on defense. I, I like this game overall for a bunch of different players. But the, the Vegas info is the Bengals opened at minus 10. They're up to minus 10.5 and, and I think even minus 11. And the over-under is 41, just kind of staying around there. There's no sharp money, really, but the public is split on the spread. So there's definitely no bias here towards the Bengals. I think, if anything, there's a bias towards the Colts. I'm not really sure why. I guess it could just be that Cincinnati has played really poorly. But I think they're bound to start playing better, and this is one of the easiest matchups that they've had all season. They've had a bunch of really tough matchups in a row, and they just came off a game against the Steelers in Pittsburgh. So an undervalued spot for the Bengals, and they're also very cheap across the board. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, Andy Dalton is, what was he, 50, uh, was he 5,700? I'm bringing up the pricing right now. I don't yeah, know I why I'm having right. so much trouble finding these right now. I feel like I'm getting old where everything is hard to see, like things that are small. Yeah, Andy Dalton's at 5,700. I can still remember. Things. You got your reading glasses on so you can see the Andy Dalton price? So, no, I didn't even need to because I still have the memory, so I could just... Uh, I just knew it off the top of my head. Oh, so wow. Andy Dalton at 5,700, I think that he's a good play. Uh, Joe Mixon at 4,700 combined with the Bengals' defense. So Mixon was complaining last week that he isn't getting enough touches. So it's a little bit concerning to me that I could see this going one of two ways. Either the coaching staff says, okay, here we're going to give you more touches, or they're just going to say, fuck you, we're <laughs> going to play you less now because you've been complaining. So we're going to have to kind of pay attention to the beat reporters to see how Mixon's practicing. Is he practicing with the first team? Is he practicing with the second team? What are they expecting for his snaps uh, this weekend? So assuming that he's the starter and he's going to be getting 15-plus touches, I think he's a good play in this matchup. There aren't a lot of cheap um, running back options, and he's one that I think is viable. And then from the Cincinnati's receivers, uh, just A.J. Green to Andy Dalton. That's a really strong connection. A.J. Green, obviously one of the better receivers in the NFL. He's the top-priced receiver on the slate, but for good reason, he has a, just a really strong matchup. Yeah, I think Green could go pretty low-owned because there are a lot of receivers in more, I guess, public sentiment spots, like the Cowboys, like, um, I guess, the Eagles. So Green may not have a ton of ownership. I think it's a really good matchup for him. Pairing him with Dalton obviously makes a ton of sense. It's a little bit of a difficult thing for me because I like so many players in this game, and you can't really use everyone together uh, for GPP upside, although if you did it with Dallas last week, it certainly worked. But I like Dalton. I think Green's a strong play. Mixon and the Bengals, that's probably my favorite running back defense combo, like you said, uh, assuming, though, that Mixon is with the first unit. And I think it'll be fine. Just I reading the way that Mixon complained, it didn't seem that intense. It seemed pretty benign. But I'm, I'm obviously not an expert on what the – Bengals coaching staff thinks, so we'll definitely have to monitor that. And then Tyler Croft at tight end also I think is a really good play for only 3000 and he makes sense to pair with Andy Dalton too. So that's five different spots that I think could be occupied by Bengals players. 
So how would you go about this strategy? Would you use them all together in cash? Would you use most of them in GPPs or just maybe two or three different Bengals players in each GPP lineup? Well, I'm going to give a very hedgy answer right now, and okay. that's, it's going to depend on the injury reports. So what does value look like later in the week? Because if there just isn't any cheap wide running back options that open up, I'm probably going to be more inclined to play a lot of Nixon, which is going to have me with a lot less of like A.J. Green and Tyler Croft. But if maybe there's another cheap running back that opens up that I prefer over Mixon, then I think like Andy Dalton, A.J. Green, Tyler Croft combinations make more sense. Yeah, I think you can probably play Green with Dalton and with uh, Joe Mixon all together and maybe even the Bengals defense. I don't think there's really any positive correlation doing that, like having Andy Dalton with the Bengals defense in the same lineup. But I don't really think there's that much negative correlation either. And I also think this game could have the most the most lopsided results of any game this week. So if the Bengals happen to win 31 to 10, I think you're looking at strong production for, for everybody. So there is probably room for the Bengals to all do well at pretty cheap prices against a very bad Colts team. Yeah. I mean, you could go with the, you could just go with the full onslaught stack of like <laughs> Nixon, the Bengals, Green, Croft, Dalton, and by Bengals, I mean the Bengals defense. And you just play everybody together, and you just hope that they totally smash the Colts, which isn't impossible. And the Bengals also do have one of the best defenses in the NFL. The Colts' offense, one of the worst offenses in the NFL. So this is a game that I, I would. I also think that it's possible that the Bengals are a little undervalued by the Vegas line, just because I think that this Colts team is just so poor. And I think that them playing against an elite defense is just a really bad situation for them. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you on the Vegas line point, too, because the public is 50-50 on the spread, and that really doesn't happen very often when one team is a huge underdog. Usually the team that's favored by a lot will just get most of the public support. A lot of that is because of teasers and parlays and all that stuff, and people just assume if a team's favored by a lot, they'll probably win by a lot. But there is a little bit of a bias here towards the Colts because of how much the Bengals have struggled, so... I'm on board with saying that the Bengals are probably going to cover this spread, and they, they could potentially end up winning by a ton of points and having a lot of production across the board. Okay, so the next game on the slate, Oakland Raiders at the Buffalo Bills. My strongest interest in this game is fading it. Um, I think Amari Cooper could be really popular after his absurd game last week. A really, really annoying for him to have that really big <laughs> game because he was somebody who we were on earlier in the year just because we thought that Cooper was really undervalued. And given what his price was last week, I think that he's somebody that we would have been. It's really easy to say now that he's somebody I would have been on. So I'll just I'll just stick with that. He's somebody I would have been on had he been on on the Sunday main slate. But because it was the Thursday slate, and I don't usually play the Thursday to Monday, I didn't have any Amari Cooper. But now Cooper was really quickly adjusted his price, and he's a much tougher matchup this week against the Buffalo Bills. So. I'm good with fading that. Same thing for LaShawn McCoy, who was really cheap last week and was somebody who we liked. He had a really big game. His price has gone way up, and he also has a more difficult matchup at a higher price against the Raiders. So I'm kind of off this game, both sides of it. Yeah, I don't even think there's a single player worth mentioning beyond that because this game has a lot of players who should have high ownership after big games. They had their big games in much easier matchups. The Chiefs' defense has actually been pretty bad this year, so it wasn't like the Raiders went into a tough spot and scored a lot of points because they played that well. I mean, they did play really well, but the Chiefs have been good this year mostly because of their offense. They're actually 21st in defensive DVOA. So it's not like it's not like the Raiders can be expected to do that against 
actual good defenses like the Bills who rank 8th in defensive DVOA. Um, I'm off the Raiders completely. I'm probably off the Bills completely. And there's no sharp money to mention either. I think the, both teams are probably a little overvalued by the public, so they, they should be high-owned. But there's there's, no, there's nothing that indicates that one team is substantially more overvalued than the other. So we can just, I guess, move on to the next game. Okay, so our next game, this is probably one of our favorite GPP spots of the week. The Houston Texans at the Seattle Seahawks. The Houston Texans are very banged up on defense. Uh, Whitney Merciless is out for the season. J.J. Watt's out for the season. So a defense that was expected to be like a top five defense in the NFL this year is probably a bottom 10, maybe even a bottom five defense now. And I'm not sure if people have picked up on that. So with that said, what is the Vegas info for this one, Matt? All right, so this is the game that I've been alluding to where there's lots of quarterback value. I guess Andy Dalton was the other one, but based on this Vegas information, I, I feel very strongly about Russell Wilson as a high upside pick this week. Uh, so the Vegas information is the total opened at 43, and it's been bet up to 46 without really any public support. The public is split on the over-under, but the sharp money really favors the over, and I guess part of that is probably the injuries that you've mentioned both teams dealing with some pretty substantial injuries on defense. Obviously, the Texans without J.J. Watt are a much worse defensive team. So this game could potentially be a shootout, and I think it's it's a potential shootout that most people won't see coming. But the, the money here from the Vegas line, I think, makes it seem pretty obvious that the game should be higher scoring than expectation. The spread for the game is Seahawks minus 5.5. It opened at minus 6, but the public has bet it down on the Texan side. So the public actually does seem a little biased towards Houston. Maybe it's because Seattle didn't look particularly good against the Giants. Deshaun Watson is sort of just a public favorite player this season. So I think the Seahawks are going really overlooked here. And the combination of Russell Wilson, Doug Baldwin, and then also Jimmy Graham, I think those are three of my favorite players for the week. Yeah, I mean, this is a really strong, definitely good GPP spot for sure for the Seahawks offense, just because that's not a great defense. I don't think people are going to view the Texans having a bad defense. Uh, the running game also is just kind of a mess for the Seahawks, so it's easy to avoid. And then uh, I think Tyler Lockett also makes some sense as a cheap wide receiver. Um, I'm going to look at the target share between Paul Richardson and Tyler Lockett. Um, it seems to be moving towards Lockett. I think Lockett had seven targets in the Giants game. But I guess you can tell me what the exact number is. I, I looked it up a couple days ago. But while you're doing that, I do think Wilson makes sense to play on his own as a cash quarterback. I don't. Th I think there's a lot of floor with him. Um, he does run plenty, so he's especially with the Seahawks not having a great running game, and it's a lot of different running backs that they're using. Wilson's always a good bet for at least a few runs, and then it's just a really strong matchup. So, do you have interest in Wilson also as a cash player, or you think it's just GPP? No, I think he's fine as a cash quarterback. Um, I was just saying more this is a really strong GPP spot because I think that they'll go low-owned when I think this is a really strong spot. So that was really more I was just referring to the ownership. But I think he's Fair okay enough. for cash also. Um, so Tyler Lockett, I agree with you. I think he's the way to go. Last three weeks, seven targets, four targets, five targets for Lockett. Richardson, two targets, five targets, three targets. So a little more of the offense shares going towards Lockett. And Basically, the, the price, 4100 for Lockett, 4000 for Richardson. So no real difference there. So I think Lockett would be the second receiver 
to go towards a, a good spot for the for the Seattle uh, passing game. And then from the Texans side of the game, I guess Deshaun Watson and um, and DeAndre Hopkins are okay. They're they're a bit expensive though. Hopkins still at seventy five hundred, and then Watson at where's Watson now sixty four hundred. So you could have Wilson and Baldwin for a lot cheaper, and I think it's a better spot for them because I also think that the, I think well one I think that they're I think the Seahawks players are better, and then also the Seahawks have a better defense than the Texans right now. So. I won't have a lot of Texans exposure. And then the other thing also is people might want to use Will Fuller because he's been scoring a lot of touchdowns recently. Literally all of his catches are touchdowns right now, and that's not going to keep happening. He's not going to score a touchdown every single time he touches the ball, and he's not getting that many targets or receptions. So I'm good with fading Will Fuller also. So I definitely won't use any of the Texans guys in cash. I do think Will Fuller is usable in a full game stack because the Texans, if, if the Seahawks offense plays as expected, the Texans will be throwing a ton. And um, Richard Sherman, I guess, would be on DeAndre Hopkins. So that could mean extra targets for Will Fuller, maybe more than usual. And even though he's generally a fairly high-owned player, I don't think he will be in this matchup with Seattle, who has a good defense, but I think their defensive reputation exceeds their actual defensive ability. So I don't love Fuller, but I would use him in a full game stack. I would use Hopkins in a full game stack. And then on the Seattle side, I think... Maybe using two of their three passing targets between Baldwin, Graham, and Lockett is how you'd go about making a tournament lineup with Wilson. But I'll say that I think Doug Baldwin will be in almost every lineup I make because it's just it's just a really good spot for him. And same with Russell Wilson. So those could be my two highest owned players this week. Uh, just for reference, because I looked it up, Will Fuller has five touchdowns this year on eight catches. <laughs> so that is, uh, I'm going to say with not sustainable. Yeah, I'm I'm mostly with you there. He uh, he's probably a mostly fade for me. Although I think I'll like, have a little I, I bit of exposure. I would be fine if he was cheaper. Like I thought that he was a good play when he was priced at like four thousand a couple weeks ago. I just think fifty two hundred is a little expensive for somebody who really isn't that involved in the offense. No, that's fair. It's just if the game turns into a shootout, he probably does end up with a lot more targets than usual. Um, but the sentiment is definitely fair that you're saying. I I I will have al- almost none of him. Maybe none at all after. Uh, hearing your argument well if he if he gets three catches that's two touchdowns so <laughs> that is that is something to look forward to the final game on the slate and this is probably one of the more watchable games of the day the dallas cowboys at the washington redskins playoff implications uh fighting for the division lead and both of them are fairly decent at least fairly decent teams but the the vegas line is a little off for this one yeah i'll say it's very off uh, the Cowboys opened as two-and-a-half-point favorites. They're now only two-point favorites. But by basically any metric that you could look at, any team analysis, the Redskins are a better team than the Cowboys. And they're underdogs at home. So I'll say that this is the most mispriced Vegas line of the entire season so far. And the public is so heavy on Dallas that Vegas, I guess, just kind of had to inflate this line. So 74% of the spread bets are on Dallas. 61% of the money line bets are on Dallas. Um, the Cowboys looked obviously very good against the Niners, winning 40-10 to 10 last week. The Redskins are coming off a loss on Monday night against the Eagles, so there's a ton of recency bias here. There's always, I think, a public bias towards the Cowboys, their America's team or whatever. So the Cowboys are very, very overvalued, and they're also extremely expensive for DraftKings for the week. So I have, I have no interest in the Cowboys, but I do think that there's some pretty good value on the Redskins. Yeah, Definitely. So the other thing also about the Cowboys side of the game, they're just really expensive. 
Dak Prescott at 7,300, Ezekiel Elliott 9,200, Des Bryant at 7,700. They were playing the 49ers last week, and I felt they were overpriced against the 49ers. Now they're playing on the road in Washington, and they've become even more expensive because of what happened last week. So I'll be staying away from them. Uh, I'm assuming that Ezekiel Elliott will have decent ownership. Uh, no thanks for me. I just think that's a little bit too much for him. And I'm, I'm still kind of just anti the Cowboys run game in general, even though Elliott has had some monster fantasy games this year. Then from the Redskins side of the game, it's a good spot for Kirk Cousins. I think it's a good spot for Chris Thompson if he's starting again. He's put up some really big games. He's been ridiculously efficient this year. He started last week at running back. Like If he's going to get 12 to 15 touches again this week, I think 5,800 is just too cheap for his upside. Then from the wide receiver portion of the game, Terrell Pryor looks like he's becoming less involved in the offense. So I think it's more Jamison Crowder and uh, uh, John Dawson. I think that they're both good, pretty cheap targets, uh, 4300 for Crowder, 3900 for Doxon. And then uh, Jordan Reed, one of the issues with him, he's always been a very good uh, player, and he's been one of the highest-scoring fantasy tight ends for the last few years, except he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So when he plays, he's really good, and when he's hurt, he doesn't score fantasy points because he's not playing. So to start the season, he was playing injured, and he had really restricted snap counts. Last week was the first game that he was just total full go. And he finished with eight catches for 64 yards and two touchdowns. He left the team with 10 targets. I think he's going to be the leading receiver for the team this year. At 4,700, I think Reed is actually my favorite play on the entire slate. And overall, I think this is a really strong spot for the Redskins passing game. Yeah, I agree. And I probably won't stack the Redskins passing game too heavily because I have no interest in playing for a shootout with using the Dallas offense. So it's going to be just a lot of value plays and plugs for me from the Redskins. So Jordan Reed is definitely my favorite of all those guys. He's my favorite tight end on the slate. I won't be all in on him though, because Jimmy Graham, as we mentioned before, is a pretty strong value guy and uh, Tyler Croft too. But I do like Jordan Reed more than both of them. It's a crazy price for him. He was really good on Monday night and he just, I guess the pricing was out for the week before that game happened. So there was no adjustment made for Reed doing really well on Monday night. It does seem as though he's healthy now. I maybe wouldn't be too heavy on him in cash games because he is a mid-game injury risk more than most players, but he's certainly my favorite GPP tight end, maybe my favorite GPP player this week. I think pairing him with Kirk Cousins makes sense. Um, I don't have much interest in the Redskins receivers, though. I think Reed being healthy takes away targets from all of them collectively, so I don't think I'll have any exposure to the Washington receiving core. I think it's just Cousins and Reed and then maybe Chris Thompson from that game. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, just because of how little value we mentioned at running back this week, that's just a lot of upside for Thompson at 5,800, just a little bit underpriced. So that will wrap up this week's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GRNBirdDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense, and we'll be back with a basketball podcast tomorrow.